Are you wondering where the spark went in your sex life? Well, you can ignite it again. You can join the Sexy Marriage Academy and a lot of other engaged people that have spent dedicated time trying to support one another and learn all they can to make marriage sex the best it can possibly be. Learn more and join today. Try it for 30 days for free at sexymarriage.net forward slash SMR Academy. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Well, welcome back to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, where we're having honest, straightforward, anything goes as far as topics we're willing to cover conversations about married life and sex, the good, the bad, the ugly, the successes, the failures, you know, anything and everything in between. That's what we want to cover because we know we all live it. We all experience it. But yet we want married sex to be the hotbed for sex because we do believe it's sacred and it's blessed and it can just be fantastic for everybody that's doing it. Uh, if you want to let us know what you think of the show or any kind of questions you may have that we can address or topics, uh, 214-702-9565 is how you can get a hold of us. You can also email feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. And then once again, I ask the Sexy Marriage Nation, if you like what you hear, jump on iTunes and leave a comment and a review. It helps us climb the charts in the sexuality category where there's a lot of anything goes information and we want to be very marriage focused and pro relationship. So we want to spread that word as far as we can. And what I'm excited about with today's episode is... Throughout the history of uh, the times I've been doing Sexy Marriage Radio and uh, reading for different guests that are going to be on or just reading for my own education and learning, um, my guest today is the name I kept kind of coming across, mentioned in several different books. And so today, Dr. Lori Brado is joining me and just a little bit about who she is. She is a professor in the Department of Obstetrics. Uh, OB, she's an OBGYN in the University of British Columbia. I can't even, I'm going to fumble the words obstetric and gynecology and all that. I'll let her handle that. But she's also a clinical psychologist. And what she focuses in is in the world of mindfulness when it comes to life and in particularly in sex. And so, Lori, I have to say thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. And so, what else? Is there something else? I mean, because I know we were talking a little bit off the air before we started about um, you, your role as a professor allows you to do a lot of research. And, yeah. and the, you know, this, I made the comment that mindfulness is not something we, we've done as a topic on Sexy Marriage Radio. And so, I'm sure. going to be sitting along learning. Just as well, and your your quick reply was, "I'm learning it too." And mm-hmm. but what else did I miss about kind of your journey into this specialty? Because that's that's a fascinating niche that you're going after, mm-hmm. and so I'm curious about how how mm-hmm. you landed there. Yeah, uh, great question. So I, I started out actually um, always with an interest in research and started knocking on doors at my at the university where I was doing my undergraduate degree, really looking for any opportunity that anyone would uh, bestow upon me to volunteer in any way. And the only professor that was willing to take on such a young 18-year-old student at the time was actually someone who um, I didn't realize it at the time, but he 
studied animal models of sexual dysfunction. Okay. So I basically spent the next six years of my life. So throughout all of my uh, four years of undergrad and two years of my master's um, studying animal behavior and uh, various kinds of stressors, both physical stressors and more psychological stressors okay. that we would minister to the rats and then studying what happened to their sexual function, right? So did, did they lose interest right. when uh, um, a mate, a hormonally primed mate was in the tube with them or did they have an increase in mounting and darting and hopping, all behaviors that are indicative of sexual desire? Um, and I, I really enjoyed that work because in that environment, it's a really controlled environment, right? You can control right. the usage of medications. Yep. You can um, look at animals' brains and get a lot of information about what's really happening in the brain. And then close to the end of my master's degree was a, a pivotal year. It was the year that Viagra was approved in men. Okay. Um, and so finally, um, scads of men, you know, 20% of the male population who experience erectile dysfunction suddenly had a very candid and discreet and very effective way of addressing their sexual concerns, um, which was, you know, a watershed moment in right. the field of right. not only sex research, but sex therapy as well. And then a few months after Viagra's ap approval, there was um, a, a landmark study that was published in uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association. And in this particular study, it was based on several thousand Americans across ages, and it essentially asked people over the last year, have you had a period of a, a few months or more where you had a significant sexual concern? And they asked about desire, and okay. arousal, orgasm, etc. Um, and the numbers were impressive. So at least 20 to 30% of men said yes, two to three months or more, I've had an issue. And for women, the numbers were even higher. So okay. the study found that at least 40% of women, and it really didn't matter their age, um, experienced a significant sexual health concern. Okay. So that then got me interested in, well, what sorts of treatments are available for women, given the high number of women who have these concerns. And um, when I turned to the literature, uh, my search was very, very quick because there was almost nothing. <laughs> there's not um, much there, right? Very, very little. No approved medications. That's changed now. And in the way of more psychosocial or psychological interventions, very, very little had been published okay. on what works and how well does it work. So that sort of took my career in a, in a different direction. I didn't think I was going to be a sex researcher at that time, um, but suddenly realized that I, I had to, that um, that this was such a, um, a an important finding um, that, you know, and then of course the, it begged the question, well, why are sexual concerns? And so high. What's happening that, you know, 30 to 40% of right. men and women are having these ongoing issues. Um, and that's been about 15 years ago now. And so my career has, my research career has, has focused um, exclusively on understanding sexual difficulties and developing psychological interventions to address them. Okay. And that's fantastic because it seems like the way the world has gone is let's throw a pill at it. Let's throw a medication at it. That's not necessarily, it might reap some benefits. And I think that, you know, you probably, I can't speak for you, but if you're a similar vein that I am, that it's a resource, absolutely, but it's not a fix. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, when Viagra was approved in men, it it really started a, a very intense race. And it was the race to find the, quote, female Viagra. Right. Um, and so there were many billions of dollars by invested by a variety of drug companies to really find the magic pill. Um, in 2015, the United States uh, FDA did approve a medication to treat low desire in women. Um, the data are really, really poor. It marginally improves low desire in women. Uh, about 30% of them have side effects such as falling asleep okay. uh, or feeling dizzy. And it's totally contraindicated with alcohol. And I've been known a, a person or two to enjoy a glass of wine to get them in the mood. So <laughs> exactly. Completely yeah. contraindicated yeah. is a real is a real barrier for a lot Absolutely. of women. Absolutely. Okay. So through all of this, um, what what I've kind of come across to associate with you is is this idea of and it's even the title of your book of better sex through mindfulness, mm-hmm. and so mindfulness is something that you probably you would be better off trying to educate the audience real quick as far as the sex mm-hmm. imagination of what what are we talking about and then yeah. how does this fit with the journey you've been and where you are yeah. now. Great. So mindfulness, uh, which has become very, very popular in kind of contemporary society, it can be defined quite simply as paying attention non-judgmentally moment by moment. So okay. we can take take a look at the conversation you and I are having right now, right? Yep. We're both paying attention. We're listening to one another's words, um, but we're also orienting in a certain way. So I yep. might be judging myself and how I'm saying certain things, but a mindful approach would be, oh yeah, I notice a judgment, let it go and come back to the present moment. Okay. Um, and it has a really long, rich history through Buddhist meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, contemporary mindfulness is quite is is different in a way. It sort of has evolved from meditation, but it's um, it's not religious. It really is a way of paying attention and being kind to yourself. So in the course of doing my research um, and fast forward a few years from the from the early kind of period of time I shared with you, um, I was at the University of Washington in Seattle we're doing some research with cancer survivors, very interested in survivorship issues around sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of the women that I, I had, was working with and doing research with had described just a fundamental disconnection with their body. So not feeling their bodies anymore after their radical hysterectomies or after right. their radiation therapies. Right. Um, lots of negative self-judgment. How will a partner perceive my body now that I'm sort of disfigured in this way, um, dealing with mood and anxiety? And so the women really described even going through the motions of sex, but really not being there. And if they were there, it was like this voice from the back of the room or hovering over top, layering on all the judgments on top of them. Okay. So I had been introduced to mindfulness through um, a, a completely different uh, clinical group at the University of Washington who was using mindfulness as a treatment for people who were having suicidal tendencies. Um, and the idea there through dialectical behavior therapy mm-hmm. is, you know, some of the suffering is when we think that the suffering is never going to end or we kind of rehash stories from the past. But if we can teach people to be right there and kind of ride out the suffering, like you're on a surfboard, suddenly we realize that it's tolerable. And that was a really compelling kind of analogy 
in learning about that through um, clients with borderline personality disorder that I thought, wow, th- there's a lot of similarities in, in what the women with um, the cancer survivors were sharing with me. Okay. So it was really um, an experiment. And um, tried it from there with a few women who allowed me to teach them how to do this. I, of course, was learning about it myself at the time. And um, and then uh, there was enough feedback from the women that, wow, I actually noticed response in a way that I thought was I was incapable of feeling anymore. Um, and so they were very, very motivated to learn this method of reconnecting with their bodies. Okay. And that's because that's interesting. And I think to me, what jumps out most and maybe is the most difficult when you're talking about how do I start to implement mindfulness into my life and then for sure into my sex life because mm-hmm. our sexuality and our sex sexual past you know typically we got quite a bit of baggage we we got right. we got things that have gone on successes failures some of the stuff that's out of our control and some of it's our own choices or that we were proud of or we're not but the the part to me that jumps out is that idea of how do I do this without the judgment how mm-hmm. do I how do I feel it? How do I experience mm-hmm. it? And I try to let go of the judgment of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think we live in a judgmental culture and we, and we we're critical of things, right? We sort things into piles of things we like and things yep. we don't like. Yep. And often that extends to our own bodies and our own sexuality. And women, for um, a multitude of reasons, tend to be more judgmental than men are. And in particular, they're more judgmental of themselves. So they might be worrying, let's say, in a sexual encounter, what's going to happen if I don't respond well? Right. Is a partner going to leave me right. um, if I don't have an orgasm? You know. So there's a lot of kind of jumping forward and catastrophizing mm-hmm. about this imagine feared worst outcome um, and inevitably what it ends up doing is it it kind of short circuits the feet the really important feedback response from the brain to the body the brain tells the body to respond and then when the body starts responding the brain picks up those messages and tells the body to keep responding right and when you're not there when you're judgmental of yourself or fixated on the outcome that communication between brain and body is simply not happening and we've got lots and lots of evidence from different experimental studies that show that that indeed can impair sexual response and sexual desire. Okay. So that's basically what you're talking about where you have the disconnectedness that can happen. Yeah, where, exactly. Where I've just kind of checked out and maybe I've gone to fantasy world or maybe I've gone to to-do list or yeah. reading the latest headlines in my mind yeah. or, or something, anything, anything but being where I am. Yeah, and I think the the point that you're making is that sometimes the places that we go to are those negative and judgmental places. And sometimes it's just the benign routine to-do list, yep. right? Yep. What am I making for dinner? How are the kids? Did we sign that, you know, the permission form for the kids' soccer teams? Um, and in the end, they all kind of work in the same way to disconnect us from okay. the present moment. So it's not necessarily if it's really laced with negativity. It's just the fact that I'm not in the moment. That's what starts to disrupt that feedback loop in a negative way. That's right. And then what happens is when you are disconnected and your body does respond less, then you might start to worry about the lack of response. So uh, then it inevitably does go to a more judgmental right. place. So that's almost, that's a vicious cycle. I mean, that's that, that's the depressed cycle, cycle where I yeah, feel bad, so I hole much. up. And then the fact that I hole up, I feel even worse because <laughs> exactly. it just kind of gets this dark, wet blanket on me. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is because... I think of the dynamic of what happens between a couple 
in the midst of sex when one person inevitably, because I, I can't think of the reality where a sexual encounter, if it lasts any length of time, where there's not going to be each partner disconnecting to some varying degree throughout the encounter, right? Just because yeah. you, it, it's hard to stay in the flow. Yeah. And then, so to me, it's the, the, the goal is, and I think this is probably where you're heading, the goal is recognize my disconnect and then bring myself back. Yeah, and I'm so glad you pointed that out because I often get um, people who will say to me, I can't do mindfulness. I just have a busy mind. I've tried it and right. I get I, my mind takes off. And um, my response to them is always fantastic that your mind takes <laughs> off. This is great yep. because in that moment that you recognize that your mind has taken off and you reel it back in, that's a moment of mindfulness. And so it's not a matter of emptying the mind of thoughts, right? right? It's not mindlessness, it's right. mindfulness. And so whether your mind takes off five times or five dozen or 5,000 times, it's our ability to notice it, pull it back, um, that, that, that's really where the muscle of mindfulness comes in. Okay. And then can this happen on a couple level too? Cause my hunch would be, uh, where you're in the middle of a sexual encounter or any kind of a conversation and you recognize your partner is disengaged yeah. and you say, Hey, where'd you go? Yeah. And that's almost a call back to, Hey, join me again. You know, Hey, yeah. come, come back here to this conversation, come back to bed, come, whatever it is where physically nothing's changed, but emotionally something did. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm sure you, maybe many of your listeners have had that experience where you're having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden you have that blank yep. gaze in yep. their eyes and you can tell that they've disconnected <laughs> and gone, right? And maybe it was just a fleeting moment of taking off. Well, the same thing can happen during sexual activity and you don't have to have your eyes open to yep. notice when absolutely. a partner has has taken off. Maybe they stop responding. Maybe they stop, they sort of, you know, tense up. Um, and so in the book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness, I actually, I describe a number of um, exercises that couples can do together. And that is actually one of the tools we recommend is checking in with one another. How does this feel? Where are you? Are yeah. you with me? You know, that sort of really important dialogue um, that's not only um, key for kind of improving the, the kind of sexual response and touching that happens, but it can be really sexy too to be checking in. How does this feel? This yeah. feels fantastic. Keep doing this. Okay. And that's what's interesting to me because what jumps to my mind with this, Lori, is the way in, uh, the way in which I check in can help determine what happens. Because if I'm tentative with my checking in, yeah. That's almost a disconnect of me not being engaged yeah. in the moment because I'm seeking and, and too caught up in what might be the response as opposed yeah. to I'm trying to be mindful just like I'm trying to get my spouse to be mindful. Yeah. And so the way I do it probably has less threat and more yeah. actual engagement. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's why I, many others also really advocate for um, kind of having a personal practice of doing this, you know, outside of the bedroom on right. your own. So you can work through some of those issues around, you know, how do I pull my mind back? How do I actually deal with negative self-judgments? Okay. How do I deal with being distracted by sound? outside the room um, and then bring that into the, the sexual context. Okay. And that's good. So are, what are some other things? Because I can just already hear somebody's listening in the sexy imagination and they're, you know what? I see the benefit of this, but yeah. I'm totally 
a, a novice. I have no idea. Yeah. This is the first time hearing of it. How how yeah. have I not known this? Right. That. So yeah. what's the what is it? What are some simple practices? Because you're talking yeah. about this almost starts individually, and yes. then I bring it yeah. to my relationship. So what are some simple things people can do? Yeah. So I'll describe one exercise that a person can do on their own, and then I'll describe another one uh, that couples can do together. So one exercise to do on your own. And again, I, you know, I have to emphasize, this isn't just a light switch that suddenly you right. understand what mindfulness is and you suddenly become a mindful, <laughs> compassionate, Zen-like person. It takes practice. Right. Um, and just like, you know, I mentioned it's the muscle of mindfulness and just like exercising the muscles of our body, it requires effort and time and commitment and dedication, all of those things. Um, so one exercise that people can do entirely on their own is first of all, carve out the time to do this. So finding a place and it doesn't have to be a quiet place, but it does need to be time where you've dedicated, all right, I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes actually engaging in this mindfulness practice. I really like eating uh, mindfulness practices because um, it's, it's something that is so tangible for us. So right. what you might decide to do is carve out the first 10 minutes of your meal or maybe just an appetizer where with every bite before you put the morsel of food into your mouth, you actually spend a few seconds looking at the food, not describing it, but rather uh, describing it from the perspective of um, textures right. and shape and colors and backsplashes of light. And then you bring it to your nose and you spend a few seconds just smelling it and close your eyes and notice the aroma and notice what happens in your body as you smell. And then you put it into your mouth without chewing with your eyes still closed. And you notice, wow, when food is in my mouth, my body has this immediate reflexive salivary response without me even chewing. Super powerful example of the brain-body connection. And then over the course of chewing, and again, we're talking about one one morsel of food. Absolutely. So you're really taking um, the eating experience and you're you're drawing it out over um, several minutes. Yes. Um, and what you're doing in in the process is you're connecting with all the sensations that are emerging in that moment. And when you do that, different parts of the brain fire in different ways. So you've got the perceptual centers, you've got the mm-hmm. thinking centers, the emotion centers, the centers of your brain that tell you what to do next. So I love the eating meditation, especially for anyone who's never tried this before. Yeah. I can already envision a restaurant and seeing yeah. pe- <laughs> just just seeing people like, hey, wait, they're they're having a totally different experience yeah. with their meal yeah. than I am with mine. If you're practicing yeah. this, because it truly sure. is a taking in of of the moment and and yeah. the experience. Because I've even heard this is where I came across this first was uh, a company called Precision Nutrition, where one of their mm-hmm. habits was take ten minutes to eat ten raisins. Right. And it's exactly right. You know, whether you shove them all in and chew it up and then sit for 10 minutes or you learn (laughs) how to do it slowly over the 10 minutes, the goal is to experience it. And that's exactly what you're describing is to just savor all of what you're doing and feel it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now if we take that kind of um, that that notion of paying attention, noticing sensations, resisting the temptation to jump ahead, and we apply it to a couple, um, one exercise um, that has been around for a very, very long time, I certainly cannot take any credit uh, for it whatsoever, um, is sensate focus. Okay. And it's a really powerful couple exercise where um, one person 
touches the other person head to toe for about 15 minutes. Um, and the first time we do this, there's no breast and there's no genital touch. And the goal of the person who's receiving the touch, by the way, that person is completely undressed, typically lying down, maybe a bed, maybe the floor. The goal of the person receiving the touch is to tune in. Yep. So what do I actually feel in my body as I'm receiving touch from my partner? Um, and noticing, is there a temptation to jump ahead and, you know, want to move on to something right. sexual? Um, and the instructions are very, very strict. This is not foreplay. This is not sexual activity. This right. is a way of touching one another where you tune in. So you continue that for about 15 minutes. And then the, the two members of the couple swap. So now the giver is the receiver, the okay. receiver is the giver, and the goal is exactly the same. It's an opportunity to really tune into sensations. And couples will inevitably say that they've discovered something so new in doing the sensate focus exercise, even if they've been together for decades. Right. Right. So once that kind of um, necessity of moving on to sex is removed, it suddenly frees up a lot of mental space to just focus on sensations. Right. It feels really good when you do that. Right. Because then you start to experience the world between between and before sex because how often yeah. does it happen in a married couple's life where maybe they were dating and they had the they had the uh, religious backing or just a choice of you know what we're not going to we're saving this for marriage yeah and yeah. now all of a sudden it's open to you and that's all you want to do at the beginning right. and that's perfect because you're both usually on that same page but then typically that shifts as you yeah. get further into it. And one person's yeah. like, everything is always about sex with you. And the other one's like, yeah, yeah it is. So how do we, exp- I don't know anything different. And so now you're talking about, there's a whole lot different up yeah. to that. And then that, that seems to me to set the stage for now you can blend all of that to when you get into the whole touch that you're experiencing mm-hmm. all of it. It's in it, the body can kind of recalibrate everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, especially for couples that have been together a very, very long time where things can become more routine and monotonous and desire inevitably might decline and you introduce kids into the situation and stress. <laughs> so sensate focus is a great way to make to make touching novel again. Okay. Um, we also know that with aging that our sensitivity on our skin changes. So what might have felt good years ago might not feel the same way right. or you might have new erogenous zones uh, on your body that you and a partner are not aware of. So really, really powerful exercise that I really um, have, have described and conceptualized as a, as a purely mindfulness exercise. Okay. Because that's what we're doing. We're paying attention non-judgmentally, moment by moment. Right. And that's the whole – so that seems like that's – when you're talking about it on a sensate focus level, that it's it's both of you have the challenge in the presence of each other to let go of judgment. Because how easy yeah. is it to – I'm focusing on what I'm focusing, but then I notice my spouse – is shifting or adjusting. Now I start right. judging me and am I doing it right or her? Is she not enjoying this right? You know, and so this is truly how do we learn and challenge to yeah. confront all of that in real time and let it go mm-hmm. and stay engaged and then see where we can then follow that connection as it unfolds. Yeah. 
And, and it, where it unfolds and where it takes you to is in marvelous places that, that many people never thought were possible before, again, because we become so fixated on a quick fix. Right. And we also, um, we're influenced by societal and media messages that sex needs to be quick and automatic and yeah. it needs to be multi-orgasmic. And so we're sort of bombarded with these media messages around only one way to experience um, healthy and satisfying fine sex and 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 it's unfortunate because yeah. <laughs> when we really pay attention even in a long-term relationship um there's so many different ways to to feel pleasure yeah absolutely and it seems to me that's as unique as the people involved right that the that you get to determine um what it is that that is healthy and and satisfying and culminating for you and your spouse mm-hmm. Each and every time, almost that there's not a script, you get to throw it out. Yeah, yeah, and so the the what I call on the pillow practice, the formal mindfulness practice. Um, you know, even if you're doing, say, a body scan over and over and over, and it's routine, it's not quite the same as the last time you did it, right? Right. Your physiology changes, um, and so each time you practice, it's like a, a blank canvas, right? Yeah. That you never quite know what it's going to look like. We've got some ideas, but we don't have any um, guarantee of how it's going to unfold. But what we do have at our disposal is our ability to notice what is unfolding in the moment. And that's the key to me is if if there's one big takeaway is it's learning how to savor what's unfolding in the moment rather than getting so caught up in what's to come or what's happened. Precisely. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, Lori, I have to say thank you so much for for introducing the sexy imagination to this. Um, I'm curious because I know some other people are going to want to know more. And so tell people how they can find you, uh, your book, et cetera, that if they want to, if they want to learn more about this, where do they need to go? Okay. Um, so on Twitter, my handle is Dr. Lori Brado. Um, and the book is called Better Sex Through Mindfulness. It was published uh, 2018 through Greystone Publishing. My lab website is just brottolab.com and you can see a full listing of all of our research studies there. And I'll have all of that stuff will be in the show notes. So if, if you're driving along, don't try to write all that down. Safety first. Be mindful of your driving. <laughs> be mindful. <laughs> and, and, and get to where you're going safely. That's, that's paramount as far as we're concerned. So... <laughs> Uh, if as part of the sex imagination, um, one of the things I am mindful of is the fact that you guys help uh, make this show what it is. And so I have to say thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us as I close out every show uh, that way anyway. And Lori, I have to say thank you for leading this because this is this has been a fun introduction into what can be when it comes to sex because of the thing I love about it most is, we can take some of the goal out of it and make it be whatever the goal is going to be. That's right. And I, That's exactly right. And I and I wish that for you and I wish that for all your listeners. Well, and I am just going to confirm that as well. And so let us <laughs> let us know what you think. Feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. And we will see you next time.